0: 37th Parallel on America's Haunted Highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.
1: what's up everybody welcome back to pixelated paranormal episode 276 i'm sean and this thing was rife with technological difficulties with me as always is presto how are you buddy oh fuck
0: yeah it's been one of (laughs) one of those nights it's like uh some like weird spring storm from hell's coming in fucking eerie green glows hail all over the place the fucking internet's going out Yeah, our YouTube feed was choppy as shit, so sorry for you folks that try to watch that live. Uh, That didn't go too well, so, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, we had all sorts of technological stuff going on. Uh, Discord wouldn't download because my internet probably was going off and on. I realized through all that that um, I didn't have a strong Wi-Fi signal, and then we finally got things rocking and rolling and we had to redo the YouTubers. And boy, howdy, uh, we're actually even recording the intro after we recorded the episode because we were scared we were going to lose the entire hour. <laughs> uh, but that's all right. How you been, man? I think earlier you said you planted a garden. How'd that go? Well, so I started a
0: garden because okay. mom, mom's old as shit and she can't walk to where the <laughs> okay. garden is anymore. Because uh-huh. it's, like, way, way out past the house. So I got some railroad ties, and I'm having to, like, clear out the ground next to the garage and basically make, like, an, an, uh, like an above-ground garden. I'm going to fill it in with rocks mm-hmm. and use, like, some troughs and set the dirt down on the trough. So it, it's, like, a more-than-one-day process. So and Plus, you know, I got a gimp wrist and trying to, like, lift a 200-pound railroad tr- tie by myself and drag it across mm-hmm. and... Shovel all this fucking dirt that's in the way and we'll barrel it. I, it's, I'm out of shape. I can tell you that. Daddy hasn't worked out in a while, and it's fucking, it's killing me. So I'm going to probably lose all my winter fat.
1: There you go. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Just going to get back in shape by going out there and doing all that hoeing. Yeah. Hoeing and growing. Hoeing <laughs> and growing. <laughs> We're in a similar spot. We just cut down a bunch of trees in the front yard, and before we recorded... Um, I was out there with uh, Shayla's parents and we were just taking uh, chainsaws and everything else to these big old tree trunks and big old bush that we cut down and got a bunch of firewood cut, but boy, howdy, I am tired as well, man. So Mm -hmm. uh, look at us, a couple of real hard workers. Yeah. Well, this episode, we skipped all the news because the story itself was damn near an hour long, just as we promised, we got back to the strange abduction stories of Elk, and uh, this story, I really enjoy it a lot, it's super bizarre, it's got some fun twists and turns, and ultimately kind of a... A bizarre end as well. So, um, of course, this is the abduction of Carl Higdon, aka the story of Osso One. And presto, you said you had not heard of this before we recorded, then, huh?
0: Well, first time. You popped my Osso One cherry.
1: I was <laughs> so glad I could be your first, buddy. Yep. Oh, good stuff. Cool, man. Well, I guess we'll just get right into the story, cue the fun little background music. Tonight's story takes place on the ill-fated night of October 25th, 1974. Now, let's take you back a little bit here. If you flipped on the radio cruising down the highway, you might hear the Steve Miller band's The Joker. I'm a toker.
0: I'm a toker. I'm a midnight joker.
1: Possibly Ray Stevens' The Streak.
0: Oh, yeah, they call me The Streak. Do-da-do-da-do-da-do-da-do-da. Boogity-boogity.
1: Yeah. You got it, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, guys, copyright laws. We can no longer sample music. So you're going to hear me butcher everything
0: in my bad karaoke voice.
1: Right. Or the smooth, seductive voice of Barry White singing, I can't get enough of your love, babe. Or Presto, if you were taking your sweetie to the cinema, you were probably going to see The Mask of Zorro, It's Alive. The fuck I was. The taking of Pelham 123, or... I ain't up my alley. (laughs) Or the infamous... Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
0: There we go, baby.
1: The main player of our story tonight, though, wasn't worried about the movies on October 25, 1974. No, he was worrying about how to feed his family. Carl Higden was a hardworking man, 41 years old, a husband and a father of four, who worked for the better part of 20 years at the A.M. Wells Service Company as an oil driller. And after years of busting his hump, he was now a foreman, as well as an oil well driller. But like most folks back in the 1970s, Carl and his family were hit hard by the current recession. Food prices crept up, gas prices climbed to new heights, and meanwhile, wages for the working men and women stayed frozen in their tracks. It kind of sounds like the bullshit we're dealing with right now, Presto. (laughs) Hell yeah. But anyway, on that day... In October of 74, it started for Carl like most others. He got up, grabbed a quick shower, packed up a hasty lunch, and was just getting ready to head out to his second shift job at A.M. Wells Service Company in Riverton, Wyoming, when his phone rang. The foreman answered the call, and it was Carl's job to take sick calls for his crew being the foreman. And that's just exactly what happened.
0: One of my key men phoned to tell me that he was sicker than a dog.
1: So, after hanging up the phone, Carl thought about it for a bit and then decided without his crew being full, there wasn't anything he could do or really accomplish anything on the job site for that matter. So, he called off work for his shift and decided to take the full day off. Now, since he knew he wouldn't be making any money that day and still wanted to be able to provide for his family, Higdon decided to utilize his unexpected free afternoon to go elk hunting. If he could manage to bag a big enough elk, he could process it, pack it, and stick it in the freezer, and their family would be more than set for months without having to spend a dime on any meat, thus helping them get through that harsh Wyoming winter that was looming just around the corner. So with his plan in place, the oil man packed up his gear into his company truck and headed towards McCarthy Canyon in nearby Carbon County. On his way to McCarthy Canyon, Higden passed a pair of stranded motorists who were pulled over on the highway working on their van. Being the good Samaritan that he was, he pulled over and helped them repair their vehicle. During their conversation, Higden told the two motorists that he planned to go elk hunting for the day. And then his luck seemingly changed because the two folks that he had just helped revealed that they had been avid hunters themselves. And they had a honeypot of a place where there was much more wild game roaming around than Higden was currently headed for.
0: They were fucking aliens. <laughs> Anytime somebody's like, "Oh, hey buddy, I got a honey pot," I'm gonna tell you this is where the <laughs> best fucking elk, this is the best fucking fish you can find south of the muddy delta. Like, they're fucking. There's something's nefarious going on, right? They're aliens. They're fucking druggies. They're gonna take you for your money, because ain't nobody sharing the honey spots. Like, if I don't you know you, you think so, man? No, no, uh, that goes against uh, that goes against the hunter creed. You keep them honey spots uh, to yourself. I you, man. Unless it's your buddy, you and your buddy Jerry, and you're like, "Hey Jerry, you want to come with this weekend? I can guarantee on tea. We're gonna get ourselves some elks, yes. buddy. You bring the you bring the Bud Light, and I bring the Ambu You know what I'm saying? <laughs> then it's then it's yep. it's kosher. But if you're just some stranger, fuck no, dude. You don't tell him where that shit's at. This this is like fucking men in black in disguise. I bet. I bet they were like in a fucking black hunting gear, you know. With the, they look like the guy off King of the Hill with their with their little glasses. And you can't see their eyeballs. And they're like, "Excuse me, Carl. Uh, we know where the honey spot is. It's in the woods. Please follow us. You will get elk. Don't tell anybody." Right.
1: Right. right. This is our. This is our black
0: Chevy Blazer.
1: It's supposed to be a Cadillac. But, redneck style, Well, Higdon would go on to describe the encounter with the two stranded motorists.
0: I pulled in front of them and helped them. And during our chat, they told me the hunting was much better further back in the remote section of the Medicine Bowl National Forest. And I'm like, fuck yeah, gonna get me some.
1: Well, Higdon thanked his fellow hunters for the hot tip and changed his destination to Medicine Bow National Forest and began driving towards the park's northern region, which is located about 40 miles south of his home back in Rawlings. Higdon arrived at the park late in the afternoon just before 4 p.m., and once he arrived, he was actually surprised because he happened to run into his old buddy Gary.
0: Well, around 4 o'clock, I parked my two-wheel drive on the knoll and pulled out my thermos to pour a cup of coffee. I like my coffee black, if you know what I'm saying. Anyways, an old friend, Gary Eaton, walked over to where I had stopped, and together we surveyed the area. We got out our binoculars, and we were just panning around and looking. Anyways, after a few minutes, Gary told me he was going on higher into the forest, and Jokingly, he suggested that uh, he might scare down some elk for me. What a fucking pal, Jerry.
1: <laughs> so Higdon and his old pal Gary split up, and Carl unpacked his brand new Magnum rifle, loaded it with some big old 7mm bullets.
0: Pow-ka-chow, motherfuckers.
1: <laughs> right, yippee ki <laughs> And thus, he set off farther into the forest, where he was hoping to bag that prize-winning freezer-stuffing elk. Not long after he began to walk around the forest area, he noticed out of the corner of his eye a sudden flash of movement. So he ducked down and made his way through the brush and the bramble, and once he cleared his way through some of the overgrown thicket, through the clearing just ahead of him, the hunter struck pay dirt. He stumbled upon a small herd of about five elk. Quietly, making sure not to make one solitary sound, Carl raised up his new rifle, put his eye out of the sight, and took a small breath, and then took aim at the largest male in the pack.
0: Shoot, I walked about maybe five minutes till I came to a rise on the ground, and then down below on the clearing were five elk huddled together closely. From my vantage point, though, several hundred yards away, I could see that one of them was a really outstanding animal. He was a specimen of beauty. I lined him up, in my telescope, sighted him in, and I fired my gun. A magnum rifle. Hell yeah. Now he can give you uh, your shoulder a mean whack if you're not careful if you know what I'm saying. Kapow, ka-chow, motherfucker.
1: (laughs) But as soon as Carl pulled the trigger, something peculiar happened contrary to what he's expecting. There was a small flash of the rifle's muzzle, But bizarrely, there was no kickback. And even more perplexing was that when the gun fired, it was absolutely silent. In fact, all the sounds of the great outdoors were completely muted. The trees made no noise, even though the leaves were blowing in the wind. The birds had stopped chirping. The insects had stopped making all their normal noises. And oddly still, the air around him suddenly felt like it was now electric. It was like that Oz effect we hear all the time when those kind of things happen when, you know, aliens are around or something truly paranormal happens. Everything just goes dead quiet. But something else happened at the same time as the gun had gone off. In its strange silence, Higdon claimed that he was actually able to watch the bullet leave the barrel of the rifle and slowly drift off towards the unsuspecting elk like it was traveling in slow motion. Kara watched the bullet lazily drift for about 50 feet before it finally fell to the ground.
0: Holy shit! I couldn't believe my senses. (laughs) Instead of a powerful blast, the 7mm bolt left the gun like a butterfly. In slow motion, it floated, finally falling to the ground about 50 feet from where I stood. I was awestruck. I froze, ain't gonna lie. All around me, there was a powerful silence. Not a chirping bird, not a rustling leaf, nothing could be heard. The only sensation I could detect was a tingling in my crotch, and it crawled up my spine. <laughs> there was a, a similar feeling that you often get before a fierce thunderstorm when the air is full of static electricity.
1: Higden walked over and picked up the bullet off the ground and inspected it closely. The lead portion of the 7mm had disappeared, and only the oddly misshapen case remained. He placed the bullet into his pocket, and then he noticed that the eerie silence surrounding him suddenly was broken, as the sound of a twig snapping echoed behind him. He spun around just in time to see a figure stepping out of the clearing of the tree line. Dude, fuck that.
0: I, I don't think I just would have picked the bullet casing up And put it in my pocket I would have been like dude this is fucking weird I want to fucking reload this <laughs> Chank chank Let's go And then what do you know Something's coming out of the forest Then you're not prepared Carl yeah. Jesus Anyways turning to my left I saw a man standing there And at first I thought he was just another hunter So I lowered my gun Then he moved out of the shadows and into the light and I immediately realized something was terribly wrong. My heart skipped a beat, and my knees became like noodles, and I was shaking so badly I could hardly stand. I thought, "Hell! I should have stayed in McCarthy Canyon like I originally planned. Goddamn hitchhikers! And my best friend Gary <laughs> dragging me up here in this hellhole—something, bitch!" <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> Standing before Carl was what appeared to be a humanoid being. Wearing a black, skin tight, one piece outfit.
0: It was like some weird wetsuit scuba dying son of a bitch in front of me.
1: (laughs) Across his shoulders draped a pair of harness like straps that crisscrossed over the humanoid's chest. And across his waist was a metallic belt with a large, yellow, six pointed buckle star. Beneath the star was an insignia the outdoorsman couldn't quite identify.
0: I can tell you it was probably most definitely a male, because I saw the David Bowley bulge. Anyway, the visitor had no detectable ears, but his eyes were small and he lacked some brows. The dome of his skull was covered with crosshair. hair, and uh, it looked like, though, he was uh, he had straw growing out of his head. Very similar to, uh, oh shit, I don't want to sound racist or nothing, but kind of reminded me of an oriental, you know what I'm saying? He was definitely a man, though, like, and hot. And the bulge, I, I couldn't take my eyes off it. Anyways, I estimate that he stood maybe six feet tall, weighed about 180 pounds. This was definitely no ghost. Good Lord, his flesh and blood. Amen.
1: Now we do need to note here that um, this was a story written back in the 70s. So we're gonna we're gonna note that Oriental is no longer appropriate. But we are just quoting. You know, Why the fuck do you give me? Why the fuck do you give me the racist comments for? <laughs> like
0: Jesus Christ, man. Fuck.
1: the one time press is trying to go down the straight and narrow and i just set him up yep yeah (laughs) the humanoid's face was yellow like it had jaundice and it had a lipless like slit for a mouth That concealed three exceptionally large teeth at the top and the bottom on the top it had a pair of antennas but weirdest of all The face seemed to be blended directly into its neck, completely devoid of a chin.
0: Now look, personally, I tell you, Tex, I'm getting used to. In order for me to look at him without getting queasy and feeling like that, that (laughs) feeling of the pit of my stomach, no chin was visible. Are you fucking kidding me? His face just seemed like it blended right into his throat. He had no jawbone. Shit, it looked like Lord Voldemort and Ant-Man fucked and had a baby, and I was looking right directly at this this devilish abomination offspring thing. I I tell you what, fuck no.
1: The being's legs were average in length, but it was bow-legged. And here's where things get kind of funky. The arms were a little longer than they should have been, but it was missing its left hand, like it just had a stump where a hand should have been. And where the right hand should have been, instead, was replaced by what looked almost like a drill bit appendage sticking straight out of the wrist.
0: So this guy's got one nub and one like like lockjaw off a of he-man. You
1: know. Exactly. Yep. And at this point, the unearthly being slowly approached the bewildered Carl. It did something that completely caught the hunter off guard. He asked him,
0: "How you doing?"
1: The bewildered hunter admitted that he was trying to stay calm when he weakly responded.
0: Well, man, I'm doing pretty fucking good now that you ask. <laughs> That's not
1: what he said. <laughs> okay, we'll roll with it. <laughs> and then the strange being asked Higden if he was hungry. But before Higden could respond, the creature sent a small, clear cellophane package floating through the air towards him.
0: He was like a goddamn Jedi. He waved a pointed object where his right hand should have been, and then it levitated over to me. Shit, I opened up the package found four pills inside, kind of like in that Matrix movie.
1: I didn't know if I should take the red pill or take the <laughs> blue pill. But uh, anyways, in
0: English, uh, he told me to take one of them, and it would last for four days. Now, normally... I don't like taking pills, not even aspirin, but something happened. It it was as if he had control over my action. So I just swallowed the goddamn thing and put the other three into my jacket pocket. And I kid you not, I had an erection that lasted longer than four <laughs> hours.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you have an erection that lasts more than four hours, call more ladies. <laughs> The strange humanoid, who I like to imagine looked a lot like Butthead from Beavis and Butthead, then introduced himself as Osso-1. It was at this point that Higdon noticed a strange box-like object catching the sun's rays and reflecting them back, sitting in a clearing behind the strange humanoid creature.
0: Man, look, there not far from us was a transparent Q-shaped object thing resting on the ground. And it looked to me like a huge Christmas package, you know, flat on all sides, like a box. But it didn't have, like, a bow on it or anything like that, so I don't know why I'm telling you it looked like a Christmas package. But basically, <laughs> motherfuckers, it was a clear, translucent cube box thing laying in the middle of the forest. And I couldn't see landing gear or an entrance or anything like that. And it was much smaller than any other commercial or military planes because, you know, I am a fucking expert because I'm out in the woods hunting and everything. In fact, you're going to think I'm crazy, but this thing could have been more than five feet high, seven feet long, and four and a half feet wide.
1: Taking notice of Carl's curiosity of the craft, the being then asked the hunter, Do you want to come along? Higdon, still in full disbelief, just shrugged his shoulders in response. And suddenly...
0: Man, before I was able to move a muscle, I found myself inside this contraption. It was like instantaneous, like, holy shit, I just transported just like Jesus. Boom, right across the water. I was in this translucent cute Christmas box midget thing. and How was I able to fit inside? That's what I thought. And then they must have shrunk me down. Holy shit, I'm small. Damn, it's like, honey, I shrunk the kids, but some alien shrunk my ass. And... <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't venture how they accomplished this feat, but this guy, this also one, just pointed, and we were where he wanted us to be.
1: <laughs> After also one loaded his new earth pal into his little box-like craft, Higdon's mind suddenly began to get fuzzy, like he'd been drinking a little too much, which made him start to panic.
0: Man, you know, my memory fails me here. I was all, I feel like I had too much to drink, like I took one too many poles of the hooch, if you know what I'm saying, and... My hands were sweating. Man, somehow that pill this fellow gave me must have, have dreaded at least some of my senses. Otherwise, I'm positive I would have been crying and perhaps fainted. Anyways, I may be strong, but listen, fellers, I'm only human.
1: And then, curiously, Higden glanced over to the other side of the craft and noticed that all five of the elk that he had just seen a few moments ago were also inside the being's cube-shaped craft standing behind what he assumed to be an invisible barrier. Higden was admittedly impressed with the being's ability to incapacitate the untamed animals.
0: I mean, look, I'm kind of fuzzy on how they managed to contain such wild beasts and shrink them down, smaller than me to get them in this 5x4x5, by by you know, Christmas-shaped box, but man, these son of a bitches did it, and these things look like they are paralyzed. I kid you not.
1: Then Carl noticed that the elk weren't the only things paralyzed because at the exact same moment he saw the frozen animals, he became aware that he was now sitting in a high-backed bucket seat with what he described as restrictive bands securing his arms and legs, making him unable to move.
0: And there we were. As we took off, I found myself strapped down to this seat with my hands held so fast to the armrest of the chair my legs were bound.
1: Fighting off the sudden sensation of panic, Carl watched in growing horror as a second, jawless, straw-haired being appeared out of nowhere. And together, this new being, assumedly Beavis, and the also one strapped a bizarre wire-clad, football-helmet-like device on top of Carl's head.
0: Man, I felt like something bad was gonna happen, I, I didn't know, but I felt like a monster in an old Frankenstein movie.
1: Higdon then observed a console with three dissimilar levers, which also one was using to steer the craft. But strangely, the alien pointed the drill-shaped hand at the longest lever and seemed to move it telepathically. And the transparent cube that Higdon would later describe as a flying boxcar slowly lifted off the ground and hovered above Higdon's truck.
0: And then when we got above the trees, I also aimed his arm thingy at my pickup and it disappeared. Poof! Into thin fucking air.
1: As if the entire ordeal wasn't already quite outlandish enough, Higden testified that just as suddenly as they left the Earth, he then spied an ominous, planet-shaped sphere similar to a basketball through the clear floor of the box-like craft. The planet he immediately knew was not Earth, the most memorable sight that Carl could recall from the impromptu tour, was how obscene this alien world was. In the middle stood a colossal tower that loomed above the surface. He would later compare it to the Seattle Space Needle, but unlike the Earthbound namesake, this huge umbrella-like structure was covered in rotating lights that were so bright and blinding they hurt his eyes to look at. The hunter was also overwhelmed by the sound of what he compared to be an electric razor buzzing. So
0: listen, all around us this tower was a... Uh were revolving patterns of multicolored lights and bullshit, and not unlike powerful spotlights, they were so intense that it was actually painful to keep my eyes open. The lights were so brilliant that I had to hold my hands to my face as a protective shield, and I vaguely remember shouting, Shit! Fuck! Turn them out! They're burning me, goddammit! I can't tolerate this (laughs) shit!
1: Rather than comforting their frightened guest, the second drill-handed humanoid merely commented that they had similar problems On Carl's homeworld insisting, your son burns us too. Then the odd craft landed about 150 feet away from a platform at the base of the tower, at which point the second being vanished just as quickly as he had showed up. Through the transparent walls of the craft, Carl saw what he claimed to be five human beings, all dressed in average earth clothes, all talking to one another. The individuals consisted of one brown-haired girl who appeared to be around 11, a blonde girl who was just a few years older than a teen, and then a couple other teenagers who seemed to be about 17 or 18. Then the group was rounded off by a man who appeared to be in his 50s. None of which seemed to notice Carl exiting the craft. At this point, also one who had so cordially offered Higdon the food pills and a ride around the cosmos, didn't bother explaining the presence of the other humans, but instead patiently explained to the anxious oil man that they had touched down on a planet that was 163,000 light miles away from Earth. Higdon made sure in his account to say that Oso One didn't call them light years, but instead called them light miles.
0: Because to them, the passage of time is different than it is to us. Apparently they ain't got no Seiko watches, so... They were just like, it's like being in a car, so we're going to call it light miles, you fucking alien. It's light years. Make space great again. (laughs) I don't think
1: he was this redneck or this angry. (laughs) Also one escorted Carl into a dazzling tower. The pair then went up in an elevator, which deposited them into a room where they were instructed to stand on a small platform. Carl noted that he and the alien never actually walked anywhere. Instead, it seemed as though they were floating above the ground. While they were hovering towards the destination, Also One explained, There were no fish on this planet, and those finned critters were one of my people's favorite things about Earth. And at this point, an odd device that Higden described resembling a glassy shield slipped out of the wall and paused in front of the human. The shield was evidently some kind of medical device and scanned Carl for almost five minutes before disappearing back into the wall. And here's where things get a little stranger. Higden's extraterrestrial tour guide stood staring at him for a few minutes and then, almost sadly in his comment, informed Carl that he was going to return him back to the spot they first met because after the examination, they discovered that he didn't Suit our purpose.
0: Because he fucking probably had, like, prostate cancer or some shit, and they're like, dude, get this fucking (laughs) disease motherfucker out of here. Right. Like, maybe, like, gonorrhea or chlamydia. They're like, dude, get
1: fucked. (laughs) Right. Uh, Interesting you say that. Let's put a pin in that. Okay. Carl never knew what his potential nefarious purpose was, but he would later speculate that he thought it had to do with a breeding program. Also, one then led the man back to the elevator and down the main door. With the same abruptness that he had felt earlier, Carl realized that he and his alien companion, Also one were now back inside the cubicle craft. But this time, when he entered the ship, he saw all five elk were nowhere to be seen. So Koro walked into the room where they first sat in the cube-shaped ship, And he looked over to see Asa-1 admiring his hunting rifle. And again, with a sad-sounding voice, Asa-1 said that he wanted to, though he couldn't, keep such a primitive weapon as a souvenir. So Asa-1 then telepathically handed the rifle back to Carl and then reached into Carl's pocket and removed the three remaining food pills he had hidden which instantly bothered Carl because he knew this would be the only concrete evidence he had of the strange event. And once again, the alien pointed at the longest lever with his drill-shaped hand, and the cube-shaped vessel then jumped once again into hyperdrive. Higden quickly realized that he was no longer hovering above an alien world, but that his alien comrade and his miraculous cube-shaped object were seemingly instantaneously transported back to earth he claimed he saw his truck which now oddly enough had been transported about five miles away from the glade where it had been parked previously only two and a half hours ago the hunter later considered the situation
0: well shit you know what since i was in a state of mental stress this fact did not have any impact on me till sometime later I mean, I know that I could never have driven over this impossible terrain, even if I had been physically capable of driving, which I was most certainly not. Not with a fucking four-day-old heart on and, you know, four-hour food, four-day food pill shoving in my <laughs> belly.
1: <laughs> At this point, the kindly spaceman said to the Earthling again, sadly, We'll see you. No, the fuck, whatever, you fucking liar. That's not how this... You know, this guy got <laughs> fucked is what
0: happened. The Fucking piece of shit aliens. <laughs> I feel sorry for
1: Carl. Dude, fucking justice <sighs> for Carl. That's where I'm at. Just... <laughs> Carl was overwhelmed by a floating sensation, and without warning, he found himself standing on the edge of a steep, rocky slope. Suddenly, the stones loosened below his feet because he couldn't support his weight, and he found himself suddenly plummeting down a nine-foot decline, severely impacting against the hard ground, and once he hit, he injured his head, neck, and shoulder. The next thing the bewildered father of four consciously recalled was staggering down a three-mile dirt road, rifle in hand, now freezing in a state of hysterical amnesia.
0: Well, I didn't know who the fuck I was, what had happened, where I was, and for that matter, the only thing I could think of was to get out of there as fast as I could and find someone who
1: could help. Higdon was in such a state of shock that he walked past his pickup truck without recognizing it. He even realized that he was utterly alone in the dirt road, that he backtracked back to the vehicle.
0: There I stood, shivering, eyes filled with tears, not knowing my own identity. I saw a truck parked off the road between some trees, and I'm like, fuck, it doesn't look like my F-150. And I decided to crawl in it for shelter to keep me warm, and I didn't realize that, shit, this truck did belong to me. This was Bertha. This was my (laughs) F-150.
1: Huddled and trembling in shock, Higden was startled by a feminine voice that suddenly crackled over the CB radio.
0: There was this uh, two-way set under the dashboard, so I picked it up, my manners blurt out that I was sick and lost and desperately in need of some assistance, and when the voice on the other end asked me where I was, I told him I, uh, I had seen a sign down the road which read, Northern Bound National Forest. That didn't seem to be much help, however, and there was absolutely no indication as to what forest sign was referring to.
1: A search party led by a local sheriff and accompanied by Higdon's wife, Marjorie, had a lot of difficulty navigating the backwoods paths with their four-wheel drive vehicles, and were unable to locate the panicky hunter until almost midnight. It was during this incredibly difficult trip that Higdon's wife and two other deputies claimed to have spied green, red, and white flashing lights in the sky, but they were too far away to discern what the true origin might have been. Later, though, it would come out that two residents of Rawlings, Wyoming, A gentleman named Don and his wife Marilyn claimed to have observed an unusual radiance off in the sky near Medicine Bow Forest at the same exact time that the search group was making their way through trying to find Carl. Not long after, the baffled officers were astounded to find Carl's two-wheel drive truck bumper deep in a mud-filled sinkhole off in the center of the forest ravine. That was nearly impenetrable by motor vehicles. In fact, the conditions were so bad the police were forced to make the final leg of the journey on foot. But even more perplexing was the fact that there were no tire tracks leading into the bog. So the sheriff and his men couldn't comprehend just how exactly Carl's truck managed to get stuck deep into the forest.
0: Man, I feel so. Judging bad from, from the circumstances, like these aliens just basically just fucked them. They're like, dude. Yeah. Skanded, you're fucking trash like you know what we, we prefer these five elk over your dumb redneck ass like these elk are basically <laughs> genetically superior to your dumb white ass fuck you Carl <laughs> we're putting your car in a bog motherfucker Ooh. figure this shit out bitch fucking justice for <laughs> Carl dude I'm still there justice. like
1: justice for Carl <laughs> We should make shirts. I'll draw this creep and we'll put him on a shirt with hashtag Justice for Carl. Carl. <laughs> uh, judging by the evidence they had of the bizarre circumstance, the sheriff and the rest of the crew believed the truck would have almost had to have been dropped from above the tree line to get it where they had discovered it. But as, as if things weren't bizarre enough, when they finally managed to pry the still terrified Higden from his truck, he started screaming.
0: Man, that one-armed or that one-armed motherfucker took my out, sons of bitches.
1: <laughs> he even failed to recognize his own wife due to his hysteria. Deputies quickly packed the hunter and his wife into one of their vehicles while the rest of the police were still trying to figure out just how the heck his truck ended up in the middle of a sinkhole. Eventually, they created a sort of bridge with fallen trees and finally managed to tow the truck from the shallow ravine, which they still thought was impossible to navigate with a two-wheel drive vehicle.
0: Should have got a 4x4, Carl. Should have got a 4x4. Anyways, using towing equipment, I, I was hauled out. They immediately took me to the nearest hospital where I was placed under a day and night observation And not until the following evening did I begin to regain my memory
1: and start to recall the few details of my ordeal. Sheriff's deputies wasted no time in transporting the frantic Hunter and his wife back to the Carbon County Memorial Hospital in Rawlings, where they were admitted around 2.30 a.m. The doctor on staff noticed that Carl's eyes were extremely bloodshot, and he seemed to be suffering from a nervous exhaustion, not to mention the injuries he sustained during his fall down the nine-foot gully. After an extensive series of medical tests, the doctors noticed that despite Carl's clearly injured and anxious condition, oddly his blood was extremely nutrient-rich with vitamins and other nutrients. Even more peculiar, though, was the fact that back in 1958, Carl had been hospitalized after he came into contact with tuberculosis, and at the time, x-ray showed a significant amount of scarring in his lungs. But be that as it may, the x-rays taken on this evening, following his presumably intergalactic expedition, showed no scar tissue on his lungs, and the doctor, one R.C. Tongo, even noted that some painful kidney stones that he'd been treating Carl for were no longer evident. The mystified doctor said he's now in A1 supercondition. Despite his new and improved organs, though, a still-petrified oil man remained incoherent throughout the night and, according to most reports, didn't manage to reclaim memories until the following day when his daughters came to visit him. It was then and only then he regaled to his wife, a room full of doctors and police, his harrowing run-in with the intergalactic Oso one and also his unnamed co-pilot, a.k.a. Beavis and Butthead. Marjorie, however, claimed that she never once doubted the sincerity of her husband's strange tale. Later, telling reporters from the Star Tribune, I believed him because it was him, and because I was out there and I saw lots of different things that went on that night.
0: She's like that wife off of uh, Men in Black. (laughs) Yeah, uh, he's like he was wearing a Carl suit. He drank some sugar water.
1: Sugar and water. Although his innards showed a marked upgrading, Carl's appetite didn't return for four days, possibly attributed to Osso's miraculous food pills. But he grumbled about sharp pains at the base of his skull and neck.
0: Man, I feel like I was like push and pull like an accordion, like I was a piece of spaghetti going through a black hole, and those motherfuckers were just pulling me apart like a limp noodle. That's just the way my muscles felt.
1: After three days of observation, the swiftly recovered outdoorsman was released from the hospital and back into the care of his wife and family. Within days of her husband's hospitalization, Marjorie discovered the crushed 7mm bullet hidden in her husband's canteen patch. Carl was still at a loss as to how to explain the force which had managed to so thoroughly damage his bullet, so he took the casing to the sheriff's office.
0: I had never seen anything like it before, so I ain't have nothing to compare it to. As soon as I could take it to the Carbon County Sheriff's Department, where the officer in charge of ballistic analyze and examine it through the microscope thingy, he told me it was from a 7mm magnum rifle, uh which is the caliber of my gun. No shit. Anyways, returning to the chunk of metal, he noted that he had never seen a bullet in that shape or condition.
1: So the sheriff inspected the warped bullet and claimed he had never seen anything quite like it. He was convinced that it was impossible to hammer the bullet into the existing shape and felt the bullet had probably not hit a solid object like a tree or a rock. Hit a fucking force field, Carl. (laughs) Right. Hit a fucking force field. The copper jacket had been turned inside out practically and the lead slug was missing. Later, the doctor would write that it looked like it had been turned inside out by a superhuman being. The Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization, or APRO, sent a consultant named Dr. Walker to inspect the jacket, and after a rigorous examination of the object, he testified it had to have collided with an exceptionally solid surface with immense force. This assertion is not to be underestimated, as a 7mm bullet travels at such a fantastic rate of speed. It would have been impossible to track the casing down had it not hit something incredibly hard, much harder than a rock or a tree. Fucking force field. <laughs> they tried to track down the bullet, of course, but never could, meaning the lead. Higden was later placed under hypnosis and was able to recall his trip to Also One's home world in minute detail. He revealed to all those observing the session that the straw-headed alien and his kin were searching for food and used Earth as sort of a game preservation where they could come to hunt and fish. They also wore their black skin tight suits to protect them from the rays of our sun, and they brought the elk back to their planet for breeding purposes. But whether also one was referring to a program to preserve game like that on his home planet or some kind of slaughterhouse was never to be known. According to Higdon, breeding was also the reason why human beings were brought to the alien world. And Higdon was under the impression that the aliens had harvested these primarily young humans in order to use them in some kind of propagation program. And he didn't suit their purposes because, in fact, back in 1965, he had undergone a vasectomy. Oh shit, he didn't have the juice. He didn't have the juice, man. Could make the babies. Mm-mm. Didn't have no pocket grade. But you know
0: what? Fuck these aliens. Because if you can scan this guy and take all the kidney stones out of his kidneys mm-hmm. and like make his lungs not black and charred, you mm-hmm. can put the maybe the baby making crap back in there. I mean, our do- our scientists and doctors. I mean, I'm just saying, greatest scientists in the world. Uh, they can reverse <laughs> the vasectomy. What the fuck is your problem, aliens? Make space great yep. again, motherfuckers. Try that for a change. <laughs> wow. Anyways, maybe the fact that I didn't, I didn't have the the, the baby making juice. This is what that that's why they meant when they said that I ain't wasn't any good. Cause uh, they wanted somebody who could fuck, and it wasn't me. I couldn't do it.
1: <laughs>
0: I was shooting blank, boys. I was shooting blanks.
1: Uh, salmon don't swim upstream. Higdon claimed that for weeks following the trip, he was followed by a colossal green light floating through the sky. Some ufologists speculate that this could have been the extraterrestrials keeping watch on Carl, much like modern scientists tracked tagged bears. Four years later, in September of 1978, Higdon was subjected to what was then one of the most advanced polygraph tests available, the PSE, Psychological Stress Evaluator. The test was presided over by a technical consultant for the LAPD, Dr. Greenberg, and his colleague, Dr. Sidney Walter. The scientists ascertained the former hunter was giving a truthful account of what happened, and Dr. Greenberg concluded, I'm forced to admit that something utterly fantastic did indeed happen to this man. The test proves without a doubt. The oil man has maintained the veracity of this story throughout his entire life and is the first to admit that his trip was difficult to swallow even for him.
0: Look. I like to think it was just a nightmare. I've tried to shake my mind clear of the thoughts pertaining to what took place but frankly that's totally out of the question at this point. So I'm here to tell you folks that I remain apprehensive over the events of last October and I firmly believe that the American public is brave enough to accept the truths of such matters and of course I wish the whole episode hadn't occurred but since it did I don't see any reason to keep it a secret. Some folks may think I've gone off my rocker, but anyone who knows me can tell you I'm not making any of this up. People seem to accept it now, and I'm being as truthful as I can be. This all really happened.
1: (laughs) So it's hard to tell whether or not this all really happened, or it was just one creative ruse made up by a hunter trying to get some kind of publicity. I think, personally, uh, I want to believe that it happened. You know, it's kind of a bizarre story. and. Of course, back then in the 70s, you're still in that camp of like, I'm not talking about little green men because I don't want to come off as cuckoo, kachoo, you know. Um, but you have to admit, none of this probably would have ever happened had he not stopped to help those two fateful motorists who were stranded on the side of the highway with a broken down van. So were they in on the ruse or was, was it just one huge coincidence?
0: Yeah, dude, that was fucking that was Beavis and Butthead in disguise. Dude, they, they 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 put on their hu- they put on their human face and were just like,
1: Surprise, motherfucker, we know the best spot to go to. <laughs> Well, guys, um, like Preston said, normally we don't have this many kind of, you know, issues recording and streaming on YouTube. But thanks for joining us anyway. And if you're on the social medias, please give us a follow on Instagram at PXL Paranormal. If you're on Facebook, we are the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Preston, I think, did we we break 250 on YouTube? (laughs) Fuck yeah, we did, dude. 251. 251, dog. Very, very nice. I want to give a big shout out to Tony and also our buddy Cody. Cody's out there on the highways doing the damn thing and uh, he was our 250th subscriber, I do believe. So, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. All right, man, what do you got for doms?
0: Look, listeners, I want to tell you what the moral of tonight's story is. See, Carl was a scuzzy redneck. There's no way around that. Carl got rejected. Those aliens scanned him, and they're like, his kidneys are fucked. He ain't got the baby-making juice. His, you know, his lungs, fucking smokes like seven packs a day. And then they got up to the old face, and they're he like, he had tuberculosis. F- <laughs> tuberculosis, whatever. The whole point is, they got up and they scanned <laughs> his face, and you know what they realize? That this motherfucker is, is dirty. You know what? Had Carl had a little bit of Dobbs (laughs) in his face, they would have been like, dude, let's fix this baby-making juice up. This man is here to fuck. Uh, They would have smelt that Bay Rum. They would have smelt that fresh citrus mint classic tobacco. That beard would have been glistening. It just would have been, I mean, kind of probably would have looked like mine. I do imagine, you know, it's nice and soft and curly. Mm -hmm. They would have been like, well, boy, this is the best human beard we've ever seen. They're like... Is that Dobbs? Fuck yeah, it's Dobbs. This is our man. But you know what? Carl didn't have Dobbs. He didn't go to BigDobbsBeardBomb.com. Carl didn't use code PXLPARA for twenty percent off his order. I'm probably now that I've said all this gonna revert hashtag justice for Carl because Carl, you should have you should have followed the advice of your boys and should have gone to Dobbs. So <laughs> semi-justice for Carl. <laughs> Go to Dobbs, use the code, you know, you're going to look good, you're going to smell good, you're going to feel good, you're going to have the best
1: damn beard you can have. That's the point that I was trying to get at. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I can appreciate that. Um, How do you follow that up? If you're in the Wichita area, please (laughs) stop by and see our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang at CD Trade Post, Pawnee and Seneca. All right, buddy boy. Well, shall we go ahead and sign off and sign out then? You got anything else to add?
0: No, we should probably get out of here before this whole fucking thing just crash and like implodes or something. I don't <laughs> I don't yeah. trust Yeah. I don't trust how it's going tonight. So, you know. Do your thing. I'll do yeah. my thing. We'll piece we'll peace the fuck out.
1: Sounds good. All right, folks. Until next time I cheers you with this glass of water and say cheers for the weird shit in the world and knows of us. I'd love to talk about it. And stay spooky. And stay on the Paranormal Highway. The cast at Pixelated
0: Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the Paranormal Highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's paranormal. At gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.